0: Hi, I'm David Green, and you're listening to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Being responsible for diversity, equity, and inclusion for just one company and one brand can be a challenge on its own. Now, imagine looking after multiple international brands, all with their own sets of cultures, data, and customers. This is a reality for our guest on this week's episode, Lauren Guthrie, Vice President of Global Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, Action and Talent Development at VF Corporation. Given her wide range of responsibilities, Lauren has a unique perspective towards DEI, which is why I'm thrilled to be speaking to her about how she manages successful DEI programs across brands such as Timberland, Vans and North Face. We'll cover topics such as how she uses data to inform decisions and how Lauren puts the action into VF's idea strategies. That's I for inclusion, D for diversity, E for equity, and A for action, idea. Let's start by welcoming Lauren to the show. Lauren, it's great to have you on the show. To start, can you give listeners a a brief introduction to yourself and your role at VF Corporation?
1: Absolutely. Thanks, David. Super excited to be here. So, as you mentioned, my name is Lauren Guthrie, and I have the absolute pleasure of shepherding our inclusion, diversity, equity, and action, or as we call it at VF, idea, strategy. Uh, I've been with the company for just over five years, actually. Most of my career has been in merchandising, so being a key advocate for consumer been also heavily engaged in employee resource groups and and several prior organizations uh, that I've worked for. And so had the opportunity to step into DEI work full-time uh, in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, and as I also like to reference multiple pandemics happening at the same time, especially in the US, uh, a social and racial justice pandemic as well, um, which gave me the opportunity to to pursue this passion and, and integrate my past experiences from an advocacy perspective uh, with one that's more uh, intentionally focused on our associates and the communities uh, that we support around the globe. And uh, VF is a Fortune 500 company. We are also the home of several global brands in the outdoor um, and active apparel lifestyle space and footwear. Some of our our biggest brands, hopefully many of your listeners have heard of, uh, the North Face, Vans, Timberland, Dickies, um, and several uh, rapidly growing brands like Icebreaker and smartwall Ultra, etc. So we're really proud of the consumers that we get to touch across our portfolio and certainly through the lens of inclusion, diversity and equity through our idea platform.
0: Well, That's great, Laura. And, and actually, I think VF Corporation Totals has got over 25,000 employees. I think that's, that's correct, isn't it?
1: Yeah, we're closer to 35,000 globally across a number of countries. We have three global headquarters as well in Stavia, Switzerland, in Denver, and also um, multiple actually headquarters in Asia as well, in Shanghai, uh, Singapore, and Kuala Lumpur. So a uh, huge global presence and footprint as well. Um,
0: Lauren, I love the idea. Uh, sorry, I love the acronym idea. I think that's fantastic. And, and before we really get into the conversation, I want to talk a little bit about that, you know, more specifically about the action element to your title, which I've not heard before uh, associated with inclusion, diversity, and equity. But it really should be, shouldn't it? What what prompted this additional pillar to to IDE?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question, and uh, we're not alone with the acronym, but but we are proud of it and and what it represents. You know, each letter really stands alone and drives an aspect of our strategy. Uh, and I think you know when I came into this role a couple of years ago, VF had had a really strong commitment to inclusion as a cultural tenant within the organization and had a really strong commitment to diversity. Um, the equity component was new, and, and, and I want to address that first because I think it leads us to the, to the action. And recognizing that we had an opportunity to think about where there were disproportionate and systemic impacts, again, to our consumers, our associates, our communities that where we live and work around the world. Um, and we wanted to take a more proactive role in addressing those systemic barriers. And in doing so, we recognized that it wasn't just about education, it wasn't just about engagement, um, but it really was about a broader commitment to action across all of our platforms, uh, where and how we use our voice, where and how we encourage our associates and our brands to use their voices from an advocacy perspective, where we're spending our time and certainly where we were thinking about our philanthropic spend as well. And also in the midst of multiple pandemics, really wanted to signal to our associates that we are not only committed to saying the right things, but we're committed to building long-term strategies that will guide our efforts that ultimately result in in impact and action. So that A is a really important signal to our long-term commitment in this space. You know, we hope that we meet and exceed many of our goals, but the beauty of this work is that there is so much opportunity and um, once those goals are, are completed we're committed to new goals and and seeking out new opportunities to create impact so that a is really important internally and externally as the signal of our long-term commitment in this space yeah and what's
0: really interesting you, you mentioned obviously all the brands that are part of the, the vf and it's quite interesting because if if i yeah compared to some of the your peers i've spoken to you other organizations you're essentially supporting over a dozen different brands. You know, can you share a little bit more of listeners about this? You know, as you know, I can imagine that each brand has its own operating agenda and distinct uh, consumer base. You know, how does that impact on your role?
1: So, I would say in this work, we don't believe in a one-size-fits-all approach. I would say that's certainly relevant across our portfolio of brands, but I think that's also relevant at an associate base as well. Everybody is coming to this work with different social, political, economic context, with different understanding and knowledge, with different passion and commitment. Um, And certainly for our brands, to your point, with very different consumer bases, different DNA, different historical footprints as well. And so our team works really closely to be a guide and a sounding board to support our brands in translating our VF enterprise commitments into meaningful commitments for themselves. So at an associate level, a lot of the work that we do and we drive as an idea team is lined up against our representation commitments, our support for education and learning. Those platforms can be scaled across the enterprise. However, we may diagnose different entry points for different teams, for different brands in terms of that work. We will, I'm sure, talk a little bit about some of our externally facing commitments, but for example, we have a global uh, goal for gender parity. Around the world, uh, that doesn't mean that every single brand is striving towards you know the same percentage. We have some brands who've already exceeded gender parity, right? Uh, who may be looking at tactics to take them back to center in other ways. So the point being, you know, there are some enterprise pieces that we cascade and we find the right entry point. There are also places where we're really supporting our brands to drive individualized agendas. Um, I think the North Face is a great example of this, who has recognized that they have a incredible giving body that has opportunity for impact in the Explore Fund. Um, it's a philanthropic fund. It's over a decade old at this point in time. That's that's driven their, their giving priorities around the globe. In the past two years, they've actually repurposed that fund to lead their equity efforts and created a, a council of community members from marginalized communities across the U.S. to provide perspective, input, and ultimately to guide their giving priorities. And so that's something they've been able to stand up and lead on their own, kind of tapping into this tenet of equity that we want to drive deeper penetration in across our organization, but have done so in a way that makes sense for them based upon their key issues of public land access and outdoor participation and climate you know climate justice and equity Dickies for example as a workwear brand may have very different priorities that resonate differently with their consumer base particularly around um bringing respect back to work right manual labor and um, and as a workwear brand, have a very different way of engaging, particularly through skate culture. So their philanthropic platforms and their volunteer engagements may look quite different. So our team leverages all of those entry points, particularly leveraging data to help us understand um, what those consumer profiles look like, um, what are and how they may or may not have synergy with our employee footprint. So Dickies is another example of that. Uh, where their average consumer and their trending and growth consumer is quite young, um, has very different priorities around how uh, they want to see organizations show up in a social advocacy space. Um, But Dickie's as an organization has some of the average age, the oldest average age of associates in our organization. So that gives us a really great platform to marry where we're investing in insights, how we're helping to support that team, and really, how that team is seeking to support itself to to have really deep consumer insight strategies to bridge gaps. Um, so a lot of really bespoke work, um, you know, supporting our brands really across three pillars, which is associate experience, consumer experience, and social advocacy. Um, but really leaning in to understand. Um, Does that brand have a history of social justice and advocacy? Timberland's a great example of a brand that has really, really long-term history from a sustainability perspective. So how can we marry that concept of equity uh, with their sustainability efforts? Uh, Vans has an incredible history supporting youth culture. And so how can we support from the lens of creativity um, and self-expression? And I think that's the really fun part of our job is we get to reinterpret our strategies and determine different uh, focus areas, depending upon what's highly relevant and compelling for our brands. So it's super fun to work to work across the portfolio.
0: Yeah. It sounds like it, because you've got that advantage of you know, where it makes sense, but also recognizing that each of those brands is a brand on its own, different priorities, different consumer base, and you know different history, and recognizing that, which gives you and your team, I, I'm guessing, a huge variety uh, 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 to wor- of opportunities to work across the portfolio.
1: Absolutely. We're always seeking authentic entry points and authentic movements to attach this work to. Um, I think there's a lot of thought that DEI is a, an area of subject matter expertise, but I actually think that DEI or IDEA is a filter that can be applied to everything that we do. And so we're always looking for those authentic chassis to ride that drive relevance to our stakeholders, but also relevance to our end consumer, whether that be associates or, or consumers of our brands themselves.
0: Let's pause for a short moment and give a big thank you to our sponsors of this series. At a time when economic uncertainty is ever present, business leaders need to make quick, data-driven decisions with confidence. As the leading organizational design and workforce planning software platform, Orgview captures the power of data visualization and modeling to give leaders the actionable insight and analysis they need. Orgview is used by the world's largest and best known enterprises, and management consulting firms to build more adaptable, better performing organizations. See tomorrow's business today with OrgView. To find out more, visit orgview.com. That's O R G V U E.com. You mentioned data, a bit of a passion of mine, and a, and a lot of listeners on the, on to the to the podcast. You know, w- what type of data do you and your team look at to inform your priorities and decisions?
1: So I'll I'll maybe section that in a couple of ways since our our strategy is quite wide reaching. Um, from an associate base perspective, which I would say, you know, speaking of authenticity, if we don't get it right for our people, <laughs> then we're we're not going to be able to get it right externally. Uh, but we're looking at at both quantitative and qualitative data. On the quantitative side, you know, as reference to our diversity agenda, our representation data. So what's the makeup of our internal associate base? And where do we see opportunities to continuously diversify that? So looking certainly at gender identity, at race, ethnicity, where relevant, and, and where I'd say re- where relevant is really where we're legally allowed to look at that around the globe. Uh, but we're looking at not only what percentage of those populations represent, but we're also looking at how they're trending. So our new hire rates, our promotion rates, our job change rates, and our attrition. And within that, we're able to see where there's momentum within the organization, maybe where there's opportunity that requires unique supports. So for example, within our digital technology space, and we know we're not alone here, if there's opportunity for diversification, particularly from a gender uh, identity perspective. So we're looking at, you know, our pipeline development efforts, our volunteer efforts, our partnerships externally, uh, but also looking at where we can build programming internally to accelerate development of certain populations. We're also continuously marrying that with qualitative data. So we have a culture survey um, that we've sent out biannually within our organization that allows us to get a sense of our associate sentiment um, across geographies, across uh, office types. So we have retail associates, distribution center associates, our office populations, and we're looking always at our ENPS scores and kind of um, how those are trending. But the ability to break that down by demographics as well allows us to see um, where there may be sentiments that are proliferating with subsets of our population that we can address through our programming and efforts as well. Um, we also do a lot of listening from a focus group perspective. Um, we really want to ensure that associate voice is guiding our strategy. So whether those are small group platforms, uh, we also over, over the past couple of years have had some extraordinary large group platforms, um, which have provided really meaningful leadership engagement opportunities as well with you know 1,500 to 2,000 associates on calls. And it's amazing the advocacy and passion that exists in the space to give feedback, To ask questions to challenge our direction and we take those listening platforms very seriously because again my team does not own this strategy our organization owns the strategy Um, and so we want to ensure that we have feedback loops that allow our associates to get engaged Um, and then i would say lastly on the associate experience side really lean heavily into our employee resource groups we have um, more than 20 chapters uh, that align to four different employee resource groups within the company in support of our women's population uh, through Woven, our multicultural population through Ace Diversity, our Pride community with our Pride and Allies CRG, and then the U.S., we also have a veteran CRG as well. And they're incredibly active and really rich enablers of our strategy in terms of authenticity to promote engagement in a very grassroots way. Um, We leverage those employee resource group platforms as focus groups as well, recognizing they're some of our most passionate advocates, but also they really challenge our thinking to get a broader base of qualitative insights as well. So um, we publish a lot of this data on a quarterly basis to the executives at the organization uh, to keep all of us aligned on our progress against our key priorities. We're also, I, I can't talk about data without the importance of external benchmarking as well. So we want to have an internal scorecard on how we're performing against our objectives, but we also participate in surveys and um, in indices globally to get a sense of how you know we're stacking up against our peers, how progressive our strategies are, um, and certainly to challenge our thinking around we future-proof our strategies as well. So a lot of time spent um, kind of seeing what's working across uh, across different industries. I would say, you know, as someone who's come from the business, um, one of the most fun parts about this job is working hand-in-hand with some of our competitors for the greater good. This is a place where, you know, the, the DEI community globally is extraordinarily tight-knit and everybody is seeking to improve outcomes not only for themselves, Uh, but across industry. And so it's been really fun uh, to leverage insights from some of our peers in the space as well.
0: You you mentioned um, that there was not just been one pandemic over the last few years at the start. And actually, there's been a number of black swan events, you know, whether they're on a global perspective, like the pandemic or, you know, like the, the war in Ukraine or the cost of living crisis that's affecting so many different countries at the moment, the social and racial inequality crisis that they didn't just appear in 2020; it was already there, but more attention was devoted to it, I guess. Which is, which I guess, has been good because we've seen progress. You know, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, how would you say that these events, um, such as the pandemic or the, the, the social racial inequality crisis in the states, has changed the way that we approach uh, inclusion, diversity, and equity?
1: I think it's a, a great and a really important question, and I think it's changed everything. <laughs> to be honest. I think the history of this work um, has been more compliance-based. It's been about hitting numbers, particularly around diversity of workforces. And I think, you know, what sits at the core of our idea strategy is that we want all of our stakeholders internally and externally, whether they be associates or consumers or communities, to feel an authentic sense of belonging. And in doing so, we really need to anchor at the, our cultural center um, the skills and capability and passion to develop as allies and advocates. And so that is when we talk about the end result of idea, that's what we're we're seeking. And I think, you know, the past few years truly have put more pressure on that. It's not a nice to have, but an absolute necessity. We have seen um, the increase in conversations around mental health and well-being. And we truly believe that at the core of idea, is a way to create connection um, that supports mental health and well-being. As people have been isolated around the world, whether, to your point, that's physically through quarantine or ideologically, we feel it critical to be able to build bridges that support connection and empathy through this work. And so, you know, at VF, I would say we celebrate a lot the power of AND, the recognition that this work is hugely impactful for our ability to authentically live our purpose as an organization, but also authentically necessary to drive and and drive sustained growth in our business. And so we approach it from from both angles. But I would say, you know, the biggest shift for me has been seeing the change in investment for these programs, the search for really scientifically and thoughtfully uh, based change management. I think, you know, the the days of DEI in the past were unconscious bias for everyone. <laughs> but now it's really thinking through what is the right way to educate people in a way that they're going to retain the information and how do we support them in committing it to action? So I think, you know, the the framework that we've put around DEI has been rapidly expanded to be more thoughtful. I think about the core definitions of those terms, inclusion, diversity, and equity, not just some of the historical platforms that have supported diversification, namely in two dimensions, right, within workforces, to be more cultural tenants embedded in how organizations work, a true celebration of the behaviors that drive inclusion, recognizing that those behaviors are absolutely necessary in this new way of working that many of us have never encountered before, but also in a world where people are being asked to to manage a lot <laughs> whether to your point that's you know war um you know political insurrection um social justice movements or just the impact of climate change and you know I, can, I mean there's so much i think that we're all navigating you know we really believe that this is a fundamental platform that supports our culture um and the health of our associates what i'd be interested
0: you talked about equity being a, a relatively new element um uh, that you're looking at at the F. You know, obviously, a greater focus is being placed on equity by by many organizations now. How how is VF embedding equity within its within its culture and brands?
1: It's a great question. I mean, I think first and foremost around education <laughs> and awareness of inequities. We've spent quite a bit of time um, talking about that over the past couple of years um, in educating our leaders and our associates. I think you know, there's been need for education to understand where there are systemic inequities. Um, using data to understand where there are inequities within our processes and ways of working through through our council to advance racial equity. We actually raised a priority area around pay equity, which is certainly a trending topic in dialogue. And so have committed to um, ongoing pay equity studies. I think the the what sits at the heart of equity is the notion that it's not a static concept. It is a relational concept. Um, And so even as we look at pay equity, it's not doing one study. It's looking at it biannually into perpetuity to ensure that as we go through multiple merit cycles, pay cycles, et cetera, that we're maintaining uh, equity. And so um, this has required some education for our organization, but it also allows us to leverage it as a filter in the work that we're doing. So for example, with the VF Foundation, um, has been a long-standing giving body for VF that drives our philanthropic agenda. And so in the past year, we've actually decided, excuse me, let me, if I take a step back, in the past two years, we've decided that we wanted to, to leverage 10% of our spending in the U.S. to go towards our racial equity efforts. Um, so for us, that was real double-click to say outside of our giving priorities of you know worthy work and free-to-be around expression and outdoor matters around outside advocacy. Through all of those pillars, we wanted to ensure that there was a filter on equity. The result of that is we actually, just by setting a goal, um, we actually saw 56% of our spend go towards um, our inclusion, inclusion, diversity, and equity efforts, so far exceeding Um, And that gave um, the BF Foundation board the confidence to say that we actually want to use equity as a filter for all of our giving priorities moving forward. Uh, We want to be looking at disproportionate impact to the most marginalized communities, recognizing that oftentimes with that level of specificity, you can raise the tide for for all. And so, you know, I, I would say that's a great example of how equity is driving a different way of thinking Certainly, a different way of working and a different way of prioritizing our impact. It also that informs how we're engaging, right? who who we're developing partnerships with, we're listening to in communities, and who we're inviting to have a seat at the table um, as we're brainstorming thoughtful solutions. I would say for our brands as well, you know, Timberland's a great example of um of an old, incredible brand, really authentic history, closely connected to craft, huge priority around um, sustainability and environmental issues, and also a brand that recognizes that it hasn't spoken directly to a consumer segment who has driven disproportionate revenue for them through those priorities. Um, And so they've really doubled down on a strategy that supports their racial equity efforts in the U.S., you know, really focusing in on opportunities to support entrepreneurship in black and brown communities, um, to support design as a discipline and a mechanism for creative expression within communities who haven't necessarily been spoken to directly about uh, career paths and lucrative career paths. And so have done a lot of work in communities around design education and engagement, um, have really looked at how you know who they're activating and 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 inviting into the brand as collaborators and influencers as ways to directly, you know, provide homage to the communities who've who've really been the backbone of the brand. Um And so in this work, it's not easy. it's it's taking an honest look at yourself, at your history, um at where there's some opportunity, perhaps, to, you know, to drive drive a different way of thinking.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. I'd be interested how you. You touched on it a little bit there, how you actually measure the effectiveness and impact of of these initiatives.
1: No, a great example, or a great question, excuse me. And and I think for us, it really depends upon what we're seeking to do. So every time, you know, we put forth a strategy, there's a commitment tied to it. Um, We call them smart goals, right? Specific, measurable, et cetera, that allows us to define impact. And so um, leveraging our council to advance racial equity, for example, Um, Through standing up that council and inviting leaders across the business to help us articulate our racial justice strategy in the U.S., we ultimately came up with eight key commitments that we were going to measure progress against, kind of stemming from 2024 to 2030. So all time bound. Um, So whether, you know, pay equity is part of that, the foundation spend was part of that, but also establishing a supplier diversity program. Um, And so establishing really clear goals on an annualized basis that we can hold up to, you know, we can hold up a mirror to ourselves and saying, are we seeing the progress? And even continuously question, is this KPI a really accurate measure of impact?
0: As a progressive organization like like, like VF is, I'm sure you're already looking at the next step, you know, so what is next on the horizon for the idea function of VF Corporation?
1: My goal is to work myself out of a job. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but quite honestly, you know, I think today we have a centralized body who is responsible for driving the strategic creation, um, for validating it and for driving the programs um, that bring this, this work to life. As we look at where we are on our maturity journey, the next step for us is to really become leader led. Um, with the goal of this work being fully integrated within the business, both as a cultural tenant of VF, but also within our business practices. And so as we look at our strategic priorities for the next year, it is less about, you know, the programs that the COE is driving. We feel like we have a good foundation of learning and coaching um, and assessment but it is more about how we support the enablement of our leaders carrying the torch in this work. So, for example, many of our leaders, if not all of our leaders, have regular leadership touch points. How are we creating toolkits for them to drive, you know, curriculums with associates on their own? Um, How are we providing them with the coaching and the continued accountability to demonstrate progress in certain ways, whether that's through improvement at ENPS scores, whether that's specific training around working in a hybrid work environment. So our team is more thinking about leadership enablement with the goal of full integration and ownership of this strategy sitting within the business. I think we have tremendous examples of where this is already happening at BS. I'll name a couple of names, but our our president of SmartWool, Jen McLaren, is an incredible advocate for this work. Um, is already leveraging every town hall that she has to drive education and awareness and strategy. Um, SmartW has an externally facing commitments as well um, in the idea and sustainability space and is publishing their own reporting around how they're doing against those goals. So it's really thinking end to end from an associate engagement perspective as well as you know thinking about the way that SmartWool itself as a brand can can be more thoughtful, in business strategies and can really anchor idea within their growth agenda. Icebreaker is another, another great example. Jan van Mosvelde is our brand uh, president for for that brand and has you know recently completely overhauled the way that they approach hiring for external talent for photo shoots with the goal of ensuring that Icebreaker shows up visibly as an inclusive brand. He also drives similar employee engagement and is actually one of our and global uh, employee resource groups, executive sponsors for our pride community. And so it's not only walking the walk for his brand, but walking the walk from an enterprise role for VF. So for us moving forward, it's truly about integration. It's continuing to use idea as a filter in everything that we do. And our team's role will be less to drive and more to support and anchor. And to your question before, I think that requires us to continue to invest in bespoke and custom support and programs for where, organiz- you know, for the needs of the organization as they arise, um, to certainly be planful, but also to be poised to be reactive and supportive to the priorities that are coming up through each individual business. So we expect that way of working not to, to con- not only to continue, but quite honestly, to increase in the way that we're engaging as a function.
0: Wow, so some so really outstanding work that', that that's, that's already happened and more that that's happening by the sounds of it, Lauren and know and, and I know that you know many of our listeners are going to be inspired by what they're what they're hearing. you know, and for those listeners um, who are working towards integrating inclusion, diversity, and equity into their business strategy and initiative and their people strategy, and hopefully with the a, the a part, the action part as well how How can they go about that? you know what 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 should they be doing? What guidance would you give um, to to listeners that are looking to implement um, you know some of the initiatives that you've mentioned in their own organizations?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of things I'd say one articulating that commitment is really important. <laughs> the why. Um, you know, why does it matter to your organization? Why does it matter to your leaders and creating a call to action to your organization is critically important? You know, from a referenced our 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 corporate purpose at VF, but you know, we have a very clear purpose statement that guides our work and our guiding principles that guide our actions. And embedded within that is the the concept of idea. Um and so having something that you can point to around this topic that has clear leadership, buy-in and engagement is really important. The second piece I would say is let the data guide you. It exposes a lot of sins, (laughs) Um, you know, and you know, for organizations that have people analytics teams asking the right questions, it's diving deeply into the data with the right filters and then really coupling that with the right qualitative insights to bring it to life, talking to your people. Asking them the hard questions and not being afraid of the answers I think is super critical in driving a strategy. You have to understand not only the fact that there may be a discrepancy, but why that discrepancy exists and be able to break apart your people processes. It's it's the fun of being a detective to understand where the breakdowns are occurring so that you can be surgical in your initial actions. Because I truly think getting some quick wins and building credibility in this work is essential to its long-term success. If the narrative comes, that leadership commitment comes, but there's no action behind it, then you risk losing the buy-in and truly the grassroots momentum from your associate base. So I think those two things have to work together and the data can give you some quick areas um, to lean in and drive action, even if that is simply starting from a diversity perspective, looking at, you know, representation, composition, or from an attitudinal perspective, looking at some core questions around sense of belonging and inclusion within your organization. And and you have a people
0: analytics team at, at VF. How closely do you and your team work with them?
1: Exceptionally. So I think, you know, there's a lot of work that our team drives um, around our own survey creation, the questions that we want to ask, you know, our own listening efforts, But we are really curious for any question that we ask to our associates to understand if there's a disproportionate sentiment based upon certain demographics within the organization. So we're always triangulating data, even if surveys are anonymous, um, in the sense that there's no name attached to it. They're not confidential oftentimes in the sense that we can still track demographic data and trends. And we find that to be critically important so very close relationship every every source of, of associate listening is relevant to our team particularly as we start to you know piece it apart and see if there's disproportionate impact in places
0: and you mentioned in the conversation employee resource groups as well you know there's a there's a lot of research that's been published about how in, the important role that employee resource groups play you know, particularly around inclusion and, and culture topics, you know, again, you know, to to a company that's maybe looking at accelerating its its work around employee resource groups, what, what advice would you give around that?
1: Yeah, I think um, employee resource groups can be an incredible grassroots effort to extend the reach of um, a DEI team or a DEI leader um, that they are a source of community. Uh, for new employees can be a really safe place with which to find some of those initial uh, relationships. They're really fertile ground to develop and grow allyship. And certainly, you know, at at a time when we've been, you know, working in various ways, but particularly remotely, a really strong sense of community and associate engagement. What I would say is there's many different levels of formality around ERGs. We are still working actively on ensuring that our ERGs are not only supportive of those three things I mentioned around kind of associate experience, but also that they're, they're able to provide business impact and that we're able to leverage their insight in a way that doesn't relieve the business from doing its own work, but can also be a really important mirror and reflection for the business as well, particularly when we're stepping into new spaces, a really fertile ground for innovation Um, And so that's where we're focused is building some innovation challenges with our ERGs over the next year to embed their voices in our, in our business strategic planning process. And then also, I think they're a really incredible way to grow the next generation of leadership within the organization. We are so grateful for the time and energy that our ERG leaders spend out of the goodness of their heart in many cases to move this work forward. As a result, we want to make sure that they are growing in their leadership capability, that they're supported in doing so, that they have the right exposure and visibility to our executive teams, and that these ERG roles are part of, play a, a large role as catalysts in their broader career journey. So I would say use them as a great way to encourage people to develop leadership skills in a safe and supported way, and hopefully as a way to grow some of your talent internally as well. Yeah,
0: some great, some great advice there, Lauren. Uh, I, I can't believe we're already towards the end of our conversation. <laughs> this is the question that we're, we're asking everyone on the, on this series of the podcast. You, know, so you So maybe think a bit broader in terms of looking at HR, but you, or you can focus on, on DEI as well in this answer. What do you think HR leaders need to be thinking about most in the next 12 to 24 months? And, and what is your biggest concern or and what do you see as the biggest opportunity in this area?
1: To be honest, for me, this is an easy answer, which is resilience and associate well-being. Our leaders are being asked to lead in a way that they never have before, to be certainly shepherds of the business, but to really be shepherds of teams and to a certain extent to be individualized um, support networks and lifeline for, for their people. Um, And I expect the world to continue to be challenging (laughs) uh, at a macro and a micro level. Um, And I think really supporting this concept of resilience within organizations, but not assuming that that's about hardening or toughening people up, but that it is about supporting them and ensuring that within the workplace, they are able to step into the level of ambiguity that's ahead of us with courage, with confidence, and knowing that they are they are supported within their organization. With that, I think, comes continued mental health support, whether that's through benefits or whether that's, again, through coaching leaders on the role that they play in recognizing challenges. But for me, I think, you know, we, we all know that there can, will continue to be a host of challenges in front of us and ensuring that the organization not only has the skills and capability, but the mental fortitude to step into those challenges is paramount.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really good point because you know, being a leader, being a manager now is is arguably much more difficult than it was even five years ago. Um, you know, you, we've got the whole hybrid mix. Obviously, I appreciate that that many of the people that work at VF are, are working, you know, in you know in, in, in retail or in, in warehouses as well. But, but yeah much harder to be a manager i think and and we need support managers because you know it's not just about employees burning out it's about managers potentially burning absolutely. out as well isn't it
1: absolutely i think at a higher rate and with higher risk um and so that's that's definitely you know leadership continues to be a huge priority area for us but not just you know to your point in the in the hard skills or even the soft skills but be able to take pressure off where we can um and celebrate a culture of empathy particularly for our managers who are growing in, in new ways and being expected to do so very quickly. Well, Lauren,
0: I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's super impressive. It's outstanding the work that, that you and the team are, are leading at, at, at VF you know and some really powerful examples that, that throughout the discussion. So you know I congratulate you on the work you're doing and I'm sure you'll be doing even more successful work uh, in the future. Thanks so much for, for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. How can listeners keep in touch with you, follow you on social media, find out more about the work that you're doing at at VF?
1: Absolutely. So I would say we're very active on LinkedIn across um, our VF platforms um, and also the VF Foundation platforms as well. You'll also find all of our brands celebrating examples through their Instagram handles as well. Um, And then we do publish an annual profile that details our progress and our opportunities from an idea perspective, which you can find on VFC.com.
0: Lauren, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for for being a guest on the show.
1: David, thanks so much for the opportunity to, to celebrate some of our successes and some of our opportunities as well. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. And thanks to our guest, Lauren Guthrie. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast streaming channel so that we can keep producing the show. And if you want to stay up to date on the latest industry trends and best practices and learn more about us at Insight 222, sign up for our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Bye for now, and we'll hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Until then, take care.